0: copy of God's Word, Once you find the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you are new to the Bible, there are actually two letters called Corinthians, and there's going to be a letter, uh, or there's going to be a number one, and you'll find 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the back half of your Bible. And uh, if you guys are just now joining us tonight, um, I just want to let you know that you are dropping in on week two of a series that we're calling One Night Standards. And so we are doing this conversation where we are looking at God's Word and seeing how it informs our romantic lives and our dating lives and really just our relationships in general so that you and I can win when it comes to romance and we can win when it comes to relationships. And so last week we talked about this really big felt need that is in the room tonight and and that was sex. And we looked at three lives around sex and then some new standards when it comes to sex so that you and I can have the greatest um, fulfillment in that area of our life possible. And tonight we're gonna continue that conversation but before we get there, I don't know if there are any Mario Kart people in the house. Mario, yes, all right. And I don't know if you're like me, but the goal of Mario Kart in in my my upbringing and still in my life today is uh, to not necessarily win, but just make sure that I make other people's experience miserable, right? And so I'm picking up red shells, I'm hanging back at the back just to get like star and then the giant mushroom to run people over. And my win in Mario Kart is just to sabotage everyone else's race. And so about a year ago, I got to take Mario Kart to real life. And so I went to this big, basically a big party for Christians down in Dallas um, about a year ago and they had those bird scooters. Y'all have ridden these before, right? And they had ridden like 30 bird scooters, and they set up a life-size Mario Kart track uh, at this party. And so you could get on the bird scooter, and uh, you had to go through this track with about 13 or or 12 other people. And they had like Mario uh, costumes you could put on. They had tires out there. They had inflatable bananas that you could drop on people. And so I told you that my win is not to win first place. My win is to sabotage everyone else's race. And so we take off, and everyone's going, and and I'm with some really competitive guys. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't like to win, amen? And so we're out there, and it's, I mean, it is like, let's go. And I take off. I'm picking up tires as I'm trying to scoot, and I'm rolling them at people. I get one of these inflatable bananas that you had at your pool party, and, uh, and I've got it picked up, and I'm scooting, and I'm trying to drop it in front of people. I'm causing people to lose their focus. I'm causing people to, I mean, one time we dropped a banana. It, it wound up on the front wheel of my buddy's scooter named Josiah, and he stopped immediately, completely wrecked, and then I'm trying to ruin everyone's race, and it was awesome, You should do it. And I start there tonight because we've come in here in this race called romance. And there is an enemy that is seeking to sabotage your love life. And he wants to, you know, cause you to lose your focus at best. And at worst, he wants to completely wreck your life. And so we've come in here and, and really there's this enemy that is his name is Satan and he's kind of pictured like me in this picture. You can see us right here. There I am over there. I was on the floor last place, but I caused a bunch of carnage that day. And this enemy, he, he's out to threaten and to thwart our romantic race. And we've come in here tonight and one of the greatest strategies that he has in order to uh, cause us to lose this race called romance is just to create a lot of confusion. And so the number one thing that we're after in any relationship, but also the number one thing, especially in a romantic relationship, is love. And what Satan has done is that he has confused us when it comes to love, so much so that we come in here, and if I was to ask you, like, hey, quick poll, what is love, we would get so many different answers. And and so you're kind of crossing paths with other people, and and you're falling in love, and you're saying, I love you, but what does that even mean, right? Right? And we have all these different expectations and the number one source of frustration in any relationship is unmet expectations. And so we have this carnage, this wake of carnage in our romantic race because we've had all sorts of confusion about love and there's these expectations that we have and listen, we are all over the map and we need to look into God's word so that we can figure out a new standard for love. We are seeking love more than ever before in society Research tells us that the, the overwhelming majority of people, the reason why they step into the most significant relationship outside of Jesus, i.e. marriage, is love, that they, they, they want to find love and fall in love and then stay in love and have an amazing marriage. And I think most of us come in here with that, that desire. And, but where does love come from? Did it come from the French when they introduced l'amour Côtois, the court of love, Did it come from our culture? And this—is it something that you fall into? Is it? it, it, What is it? And we know that it's—it's needed because we got to have it in order to have relational success. But and and we are all after it. We're we're chasing after it. But what is it? Is it sex? Is it—is it romance? Is it hooking up? Is it just an idea? Is it a feeling? Is it a reality? Is love the swipe of a screen? Is it steamed-up car windows? Is it a messed-up bed? And our culture has convinced us that that love is something that you fall into, it's something that you feel, it's it's so important until it's not. It's manic highs, it's manic lows, and the more dramatic the love story is, the better. But we're not winning at love, are we? And we've come in here and there's so much confusion, and I feel like the enemy's like, I am going to sabotage y'all's romantic race, and I'm going to laugh while doing it. And so a lot of us if we're getting real and being vulnerable and authentic, we come in here with a lot of baggage and a lot of confusion because we've misappropriated this love. And we were we lost our focus at best and at worst we've completely wrecked it and listen, we need a new standard. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled this message Love Standards. Love standards, and here's the big thing I wanna invite everybody to do in the room tonight and those that are listening online is I wanna invite everyone, when it comes to love, I wanna invite everyone to, it's just, just two words. This is the big thrust for the night. I wanna invite everyone to make love before we leave tonight. Some of y'all are like, I like this church. I like this church a lot. I'm glad we came here. Yeah. To make love, listen, let me finish, important. To make love a verb and to make love mature. So Paul, he's writing to this group of Christians in a town called Corinth, and and when it came to like their big goal in life, there was all kinds of crazy and confusion around them trying to figure out what it means to to follow God and follow Jesus with their life and so Paul's writing this letter and he's like listen I, I know I told you what Jesus said and and I know a lot of you understand what Jesus has done but it just seems like y'all aren't really getting it and so I love my guy Paul because he knew about Jesus and he knew Jesus had said a lot of things about love but he comes alongside of this church who the majority of the people their life had been changed by Jesus but they still had some issues is that okay for us to admit that you can know Jesus Jesus, but still have some issues, right? That you are, we are all a work in progress. And so Paul, we have the Bible because there were people who were trying to follow God, but they just didn't know how. And so in Corinth, there was all kinds of craziness going on, and they were linking their lives with people in community, in relationship, in friendships, in dating relationships, in marriage, and there was all sorts of confusion and craziness. And so Paul is like, hey, hey, let, let me let me just kind of get real Uh, And down to the ground and give y'all like what I mean by this thing called love. And here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, that means that I could speak like really, really profound things in in people's lives and I could kind of see where they're headed. Like like I'm really good at like uh, discernment and that sort of thing. He said, if I had that gift and I understood all of God's secret plans and I possessed all this knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but I didn't love others, I'd be nothing. He says, if I give everything that I have to the poor, if I had all this money and I, and I sacrificed it, and, and even he says, if I even was so courageous that I sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. So, what Paul's trying to say in point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, we want you to make love important. We want you to make love important. See, what was happening in Corinth is that they were elevating attributes of people as the reason why they should give them um, influence in their life. And, and the thing that they were elevating of these people were kind of peripheral things when Paul was observing what was going on. He's like, you, you have made other things important, and you've missed, like, the main thing. And so what he's saying is like, man, you could have people that are, that are talented, they got swag, they have looks, they've got money, but if they lack this one- one thing called love, then it's not gonna end well for you. And so what's happening in this church, these aren't really even romantic relationships, these are just relationships. He's like, if you do life with people that have all of this talent, but they lack love, it's not gonna end well for you, and you're gonna leave broken, burnt, and frustrated. But let's put this in our romantic relationship, if we can. It's the equivalent of Paul saying, if they can speak in tongues, like if they're a good kisser, you know what I'm saying, anyway, if they can speak in tongues, if they can talk good, they can prophesy, if they're smart, if they got leadership, if they're rich and generous, if they're courageous, they take a, I'll, they'll take a grenade for you, Bruno, if they can do all of these things, they got an eight pack too, if they can do all these things, but they lack love, then what do you have? If you don't have love in a relationship, but you have all of these other things that you've made the most important things, then what do you have? Passion, good sex for a while, but eventually it's not going to last. They can be good at all of these and miss the most important thing, and it's not going to end well for you. So, so we've come in here tonight, and like our culture is informing what we identify as love, and so we we know love's important, but we just don't know where to look to figure out love, right? So where did you get your standards for love? Like like most of us growing up, we were following Will Smith and Jada, and we're like, man, this is a match made in heaven, right? Both of them talented, and then they had little little baby Will that was in you know doing kung fu stuff and Karate Kid. I mean, it was amazing, right? But then recently we're seeing some of the ramifications of them having all of these talents but not having true, sincere love. Is that what's informing your standard? Is it Colton Underwood and giving him 25 women and staging all of these romantic dates and he's the most eligible bachelor? Is it Anastasia and Christian Gray and all this fantasy and love romance novels? Is it Bella Hadid, or is it Kim Kardashian West, and, and external beauty? For some of you, where'd you get your standards for love? Did you get it from pornography? You think what you watch on a, on, on, in porn is like, that's what love is, that's what marriage is gonna be? I can't wait? Or is it something else? Was it your fraternity friends? Was it your sorority girls that you just sat around and you started sharing ideas about like, yeah, I think that's true, yeah, that, that makes so much sense. We should go after those things. Where did you get your standard? And we can go after all of these peripheral things, but listen, love is important. We've, and we've come in here tonight, and, and our society has just kind of sold us this, this bill of, uh, of standard when it comes to love, and what they've said is that love is like a drug. It's like something you use, right? And so we listen to songs like, like um, I think you say her name, Ke- Kesha? Is that how you say it, Kesha? I don't know, I was saying Keisha early anyway. Kesha, she says it like this, love is like a drug, right? Uh, Camilla Cabello, she says, it's like nicotine running through my veins, right? And we've likened love to a drug as if love is something that we go out and we use. And listen, if you see love that way, then what you're going to do is you're going to treat love just like you may have treated drugs. You're going to use them. You're going to abuse them. You're going to get addicted to them, and then it's going to end with you being wounded, And if you see love as a drug, as something that you use, and this is what our culture has sold us, then you're going to use people for love. You're going to abuse people for love. You're going to get addicted to those types of people, or you're going to get addicted to that thing, and it's going to leave you wounded. And we know this, but we keep returning back to this. And it's time for a new standard like, like you'll talk with couples that are just Google-eyed, you know, they just they you know they in a new relationship and and you're like, what do y'all what do y'all love about each other? Or or you're talking to somebody, what do you love about him? I just love the way he makes me feel. You know? Like he just makes me feel so good. And so what what my response would be, so you love him because of the way that he makes you feel. So you've made your love for him about you. And so the only thing that you love about him is because he makes you feel better about you. And so your entire love is about you. And listen, if love is about you, it's not true love. Jesus says like this in in John 13, he says, that I give you a new commandment that you are to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Show in the world that you're my followers if you love one another, and Jesus gives us the condition. He says that you are to love one another, one another like I have loved you. And how does Jesus love the world? If you don't know Jesus, here's one of the biggest ways that he loves the world. He sacrifices for the world. And so Paul, he knew that Jesus thought this was important. He had evidently told the people in Corinth, hey, you need to love one another. This is a big deal. And he's writing to them to help them understand the application. So if, if we need to make love important, what is what is love? Like what do we need to do? And I love that Paul's not just kind of saying, "Hey, y'all need to go love people." I'm out, right? No, he begins to describe what this type of biblical love looks like. So last night I was laying down with my daughters. My wife and I, we have this uh, routine where most nights we'll, we'll snuggle up in bed uh, you know, with each little girl. and We'll listen to some worship songs and we'll just kind of talk with them about their day and we just try to slow down in the evening time and let them know that we love them and we pray for them and we, we worship with them, read with them. And so last night I knew I was gonna be preaching about this and my daughters, they'll ask me from time to time, you know, what are you talking about tomorrow night? And so I told them, to be talking about love. And so I asked each one of them, I was like, well, wh- well, how would you describe love? I have an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a three-year-old. And so you could imagine the answers that, you know, you would expect. But each one of them had different answers. But every one of their answers had to do with something that you do, not something you feel. And so Paul, he goes into this list. And what he begins to say is that love is not a feeling alone. It is something that you Do And here's what he says, love, in verse four, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, we want to invite you to make love tonight. We want you to make it a, we want you to make it important. And point number two, we want you to make it a verb, So some of y'all like you you have a profile, you know, you know, online dating site or something like this, and maybe you haven't been as bold to put this out there, but I know a lot of you have thought about putting this on your profile, like you know, I'm at what such and such, and the description is I'm a good lover. I'm a good lover. What does that even mean? And listen, if you claim to be a good lover, but you're not good at these things, you're not a good lover. You may be good for a short time, but then you're done. This is what we need to be good at. If you want to be a good lover, you need to grow and be good at these things. We need a new standard paradigm so that we can build relationships that last. And so we need to make this our aim because there is an enemy that is seeking to sabotage our romantic race in life. And he's wanting us to lose our focus and create all sorts of confusion. But the word of God that is timeless, that is, that is ageless, that speaks into every generation is going to remind us of the definition of love. And we look at a list like this and we're like, man, I don't know if I'm good at all those things, but I want to be a lot of you. And I I would just challenge you, when you look at a list like this, I want you to think like which of these things would you be willing to cross off the list? Like, don't you want somebody right now to be looking at a list like this and and, and be aspiring to walk in those things that maybe in, in six months or a year that you could meet And be like, oh, you're trying to be good at the things that I'm trying to be good at so that we can be on the same page when it comes to love. And listen, these attributes, these are the standard. And so if you're here tonight and you're trying to follow Jesus, but you're in a significant relationship, i.e. you're dating somebody that is not seeking to be good at these things, you need to break up. You can text them right now. You shouldn't really text to break up with somebody, but you can go ahead and text them right now, all right? I'll give you permission. Because listen, that you say, man, um, that that seems kind of harsh. But it's one of the most loving things I can do is to call you to do hard things today that will prevent you from experiencing pain later. That the pain of a breakup in an unhealthy relationship that is not seeking to honor God is far less than the pain of a divorce later. No one signs up for marriage just to get divorced. And the pain of divorce is wreaking havoc in our lives and in our society. And so we need to understand what love is so that we can begin to build love into our life and so that we can have loving, romantic relationships that are honoring to God. Some of you are like, that's a little bit harsh. Like, you mean to tell me if I don't grow in these things and I get married, I'm gonna end up divorced? You may not end up divorced, but you won't live loved. And the only thing worse than being single and alone and unloved is being married and alone and unloved. This isn't the dress rehearsal in your 20s and 30s. This is real talk, real time. And relationships matter. That's why we need some standards so we don't keep going back to the same cycles of heartache while the enemy laughs as he's dropping bananas in front of our wheels, right? And so Paul, he says that this is the standard for love. So let's break this down real quick. He says love is patient. Now here's a good definition of patience. Patience is a decision for you to move at another person's pace. It's I'm gonna slow my roll while I come alongside of you and move at your pace. I'm gonna wait on you. Now, the opposite of patience is impatience, right? And impatience is typically not a decision. It's usually a response to the fact that someone is not moving at your pace. Y'all remember the drive over here tonight? You was on 470 on 71, and somebody was in the left lane, right? Can we just pause and talk to the people in the left lane that are texting and driving and going the speed limit instead of five over? And we get impatient when people don't move at our pace. But love, listen, it doesn't pressure people. It doesn't push people. It defers to the pace of another. It doesn't say, hey, get on my level. It says, listen, I will gear down and I will slow down to be able to move at your pace. It's putting them above yourself. It's submitting to their needs over yours. But listen, this doesn't mean that you compromise. Some of you are already thinking, like, you, you were about to send the text, it's over, but then you're like, oh, wait, be patient. I'm going to wait for him to come to Christ. I'm going to be patient. I'm going I'm to gear back, slow down to his pace, right? No, 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 listen, don't confuse what I'm saying. Don't be patient while someone's living in sin, or don't be patient in your relationship while it is living in sin. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying be patient with people and honor people. Don't excuse sin or compromise your convictions. He says love is patient, love is kind. A good word for kind is that you use your strength for others, and so guys, like this isn't the attribute we want, right? Like we, you know, like when somebody's describing you, you don't want typically the adjective, the, like he's just so kind, right? We want something more like he's valiant, you know? But kind, is, it's a very masculine term. It's a very good term, and you should ascribe to have this attribute Given to your name, kindness is, is, is that you are, you're strong and you use your strength on behalf of those who are weaker. It's, it's a decision to do for someone what they can't do for themselves. It, in a sense, if it's a word, it's, it's service. And the opposite of kindness is unkindness. And here's what you need to know that unkindness will kill any relationship. If you're just a butt in a relationship, if I can say that that it's gonna kill that relationship, let alone a romantic relationship. And if you wanna be unkind, it's gonna be, it's, it's gonna be the end of that relationship. So you need to pay attention to somebody that you're in, in relationship with. If you have a significant other or you're observing people that maybe you would like to pursue, you need to see how they treat people who, who are potentially weaker than them. How do they treat children? How do they treat people with special needs? How do they treat people who, who are struggling and are they kind? How do they treat people that are weaker? And so here's what you'll see is that oftentimes we'll get around somebody that's struggling with something and we'll make fun of them. You'll hear sarcastic jabs. You'll, you'll see that person not be kind. And you think, well, he would never or she would never do that to me. But listen, if you are in a relationship long enough with somebody, they will observe your weaknesses. And if they have been unkind to somebody else and their weaknesses, when they observe your weaknesses, they will be unkind to you as well. And love, it's kind. Love also, what Paul says, is that it's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud or rude. It, this is quite the combo. That when, when people are jealous, boastful, proud, and rude, what they are showing is that they are deeply insecure. And these things play themselves out in relationships in petty ways, in ugly ways, and in destructive ways. And so if you notice that, that a guy is boastful, and he's arrogant, and he's rude, and he's jealous, what he's showing is, I'm insecure. And ladies, listen, there is nothing more dangerous to the heart of a woman than an insecure man. That he will use you and abuse you, because deep down inside, he needs validation that only God can give him, and you can't ever be enough for him. And so you won't measure up. And so if you somehow feel important because you make him feel important, that is not going to last. And guys, listen, there is nothing that is more codependent than an insecure woman. And she'll be, where are you at? Who's you sitting next to? What's going on, right? She'll be rude. Oh my gosh, you didn't even talk with me. You left me at the party. I went to the bathroom, right? Right, you know what I mean? He's like, come on. (laughs) And she will be clingy, because she needs you to give her validation and you'll never be enough. And so Paul, he says that love, it's, it's not these things. In fact, the opposite of these things is that love is honorable. Love is that you you treat this person as if you are grateful to be with them. I want you to imagine like, the, like your biggest, the person that, that you would just love to hang out with. You know, maybe it's like a football player, maybe it's a singer, I don't know, somebody. And you're like, man, they're coming over for dinner. What you would do is that you would give them honor. Like you would, if they showed up three minutes late, you wouldn't be like, Denzel, I can't believe you're three minutes late, right? <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, I can't believe five minutes late, Really? <laughs> No, hey, it's no big deal. We're so glad you're here. Come sit down. Can I have your autograph? You know, you would, and listen, you would give them the best version of yourself because you were putting honor upon them. And so guys, like if you want to treat a woman the way that she deserves to be treated, learn some basic rules of being a gentle man. Open up her door. When you say you're gonna be there, be there at this time. Go introduce yourself to her roommates or her. if, if she's at with her parents, go talk with her parents, whatever it is. Walk on the outside of the road. Pull her chair out for her before you sit down at the table. Speak kind to her and honor one another. This is what love is. We need a new standard. It goes on and Paul says this, that love does not demand its own way. You know, it, it goes into a relationship, and it doesn't go in the relationship like this. I'm gonna get mine. I'm a savage girl. I'm gonna get mine, right? I'm bougie and rat. No, no, it's not going into that. Okay, it's saying I'm going into this relationship to put the other above myself. And somebody like man, that seems vulnerable. I've done that before, and it didn't end well for me. Well, you didn't deserve to be with that person. And if you want to be loving, if you want to have love the way God says you are to have love, it does not demand its own way. And so here's what you need to do. Like, you need to, early on in a relationship, you need to seek the welfare of that person. And here's what you need to do. If you give and give, and, and then they don't reciprocate that type of love, you need to run, all right? If you're asking questions, and, and where do you want to go to eat? And they're like, well, I want to go here. And you're like, okay. And the next time, you, where do you want to go eat? They never ask, where do you want to go eat? They never ask, what sort of things are you interested in? And it's one-sided. You need to get out of that relationship. That, 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 that the essence of love is sacrifice. It's putting the other person's needs above my own. Jesus said this in John 15, that greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, and you are my friends. That if you are in a relationship and it's not marked by sacrifice, Listen, it's not love. That sacrifice isn't some attribute that maybe I'll arrive to someday, but it is the essence of love. And if you're being disrespected and dishonored, listen, my heart goes out to you. If you're being abused, let us know tonight. That's a whole different category. But if you're in a normal relationship that's got some issues, every relationship does, and you're being disrespected and dishonored, here's my fear is that if you stay in that relationship, then you'll begin to believe that you're not worthy. And some of you have come in here tonight and you don't think you're worthy of a godly romance because you've been told by significant men or significant women in your life that you're no good, you've been disrespected, you've been dishonored, you've been chewed up and spit out. But can I tell you that you are worthy, not because of anything that's happened to you, but because God made you. And if you stay in a toxic relationship that is unloving, then you will begin to lose your sense of worth. Paul says love doesn't demand its own way. He says it's not irritable. You you don't irritate one another. I remember my wife, early on in our marriage, um, I was being real sarcastic with her. I thought it was fun to irritate my wife. Y'all pray for me, all right? Some of y'all do too. You're like, I just love getting her riled up. You know, just love to rile her up. You know, I love to push her buttons. Ha <laughs> ha. And she looked at me one day early on in marriage. She said, she said, Chad, I'm not your college roommate, and I'd appreciate it if you quit talking to me that way. I'm your wife. And a lot of you, you irritate people, and that's you being unloving. Love is, it says that it keeps no record of wrongs. Like what's ironic is that if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody that keeps records of wrongs, like they seem to have such a keen memory about all the things that you've done wrong, but they can't remember all the things they've done wrong. And the problem with a record keeper and the person who, who does does this sort of thing is that, that they're usually right, but when you revisit the past, it does nothing to help the present. Billy Graham, one of the greatest Christians of our uh, time his wife they had a very successful great marriage lived on mission married for decades and his wife was asked hey what takes what does it take to have a great marriage she, she said this it takes two good forgivers and what she was saying is it takes two people that keep no record of wrongs and so when you experience a wrong in a relationship put it in the the the, the, the trash bin on your hard drive and then empty the trash bin right click on that mug and empty it Because when you hang on to those things and you file them away, you're not being loving. So are you a filer or a forgiver? Do you accost people for their shortcomings or do you accept them in spite of their shortcomings? We need a new standard tonight. And Paul, he's saying that love is this. He goes on in verse six. He says, love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love, it never gives up. It never loses faith. It, it's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. What he's saying is that, that love, it celebrates the truth. Love is honest. It, it doesn't hide things, it doesn't try to smuggle things from our past into a future relationship. It's honest about this is who I am, this is what you're getting. And here's the, the kind of the, the, big apex, the big apex of what Paul's saying is like, love, it doesn't quit, love is committed. And I think half the room here tonight that we just, we wished, me include we wished our parents knew this standard for love, right? Like Maybe you come from a home like mine where dad came when you were 12 years old and, and he said, hey, I'm leaving. And, and your parents, they, they divorced, they separated and they divorced. Maybe you don't even know your dad or, or maybe you don't even know your mom. And when it comes to your definition of love, you were just brought up in an environment where it was like, I gotta get mine, it's a dog-eat-dog world, and love, that's a great idea, but I don't even know what it looks like. And so growing up in this environment, when I began began to get of age and pursue love, I I was just really confused, you know? Like a lot of you come in here and you're like, man, I I want love, but I just don't know even how to get there. And, And so here's what I had to do, and maybe you need to do this too. I got around the godliest man and woman that were in love and they were married, and I just hung out with them. They happened to have a daughter named Chelsea. And so now they're my in-laws. And I have a front row seat on one of the greatest boring marriages because there's no drama they still make out in front of us. It's weird, but it's cool. <laughs> and they say things like when, they, when her dad turned 60, her mom was like, I never thought I'd enjoy making out with a 60-year-old. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh, aw. <laughs> right? And so maybe you're here and you don't know what a healthy marriage looks like. Find a healthy married couple And just ask if you can go have dinner with them. When Chelsea and I got engaged, we sat down with couples that we respected, and we were like, hey, what do y'all do to pursue one another romantically? What do y'all do to to navigate conflict? And we submitted ourselves to their leadership so that we could get a definition, and then we could also get a picture of what love looks like. And we need a new standard, because listen, we all want love, but we just don't know what it is, and we've got an enemy that's sabotaging our romantic race. And we need this new standard, because love is powerful, it's binding, and it is necessary for any relationship to flourish. And so that's why we need a new standard, so that we can build something that lasts, because there's so much confusion in our culture and what we've done is that we've reduced love down to like this feeling, you know? And so like, you'll ask somebody, like, how do you know that you're in love? And the advice, we're like, oh, you'll know. Like, you just know that you know, you know? Like, you know, right? And we've just kind of just said, hey, love is just a, a feeling, and you just, you just kind of know, you gotta feel it. But listen, love is not merely a feeling. There are feelings called love. But what Paul is saying is that you need to be faithful to do these things, and feelings are sure to follow. It's about faithfulness, not feelings. Feelings, they will come and go, but love is a verb. And so Paul, he says in verse eight, he says about this love, it never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, they'll cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Y'all know what the divorce rate is amongst Christians who love Jesus and are trying to love one another according to this standard of love? It's zero percent. And I don't know about you, but I want a vibrant love life. I want a vibrant marriage. I want to build something that, that rewrites my, my last name. I don't want my kids to be eight, 15 years old and be like, yeah, and then that's when dad left. And I saw things unravel. And he said all these things, but he didn't do any of these things. And we've confused love in our culture. Like, notice that Paul, in this list, he doesn't, he doesn't even mention sex. Like a lot of us, we'd be like, you know, um, you know love is, it's, it's chemistry. No, like love is Roman. No, it, he doesn't even mention sex. Like, when, like even when you look at the, this, is even, this isn't even a marriage passage. This is on just love in general. When you look at the marriage passages in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, how to have a great marriage biblically, sex is not on the list. It says things like this, you gotta sacrifice your life, men. It's a call to die. It says this, you gotta submit to your husband, ladies. It's a call to follow. Sex isn't even on the list. And I think the reason why is because sex comes natural. Like, like really, that's the easy part. But if you don't make love a verb, then you won't make love work for the long haul. Like, like sex doesn't make a relationship. Sex makes babies, okay? It doesn't make marriage. The greatest sex is found in marriages that commit to make love important and to make love a verb. We need a new standard so that we can measure success in our romance. It's not about chemistry, it's about patience and kindness and humility and forgiveness. And listen, you don't have to be in a dating relationship or married to begin to grow these things. Like, again, Paul, he's writing to a group of Christians. This isn't like Paul at some marriage conference, all right? This is a lesson about love. So he's writing to people that are single, people that are married, people that have been widowed, people that have been divorced. He's writing to a group of people, and he's saying that as the body of Christ, if you want to follow Jesus, you love people this way. So some of you are thinking like, okay, if this is the standard, and this is what I need to be working on in my own life, how do I begin to build these things? Well, here's the number one thing that everyone can do tonight. You don't have to go get a date tonight in order to start building these things. Get in community. What I mean by that is you need to come to know Christ, and then you need to get into Close relationships with other dysfunctional people just like you that are gonna be hard to love because you can't be patient when you're just by yourself all day. Like, I'm just so patient with me. Yeah, I know. I'm just so kind with me. I got it. I just seek the best for me. Okay. You need to get around some other people where you meet with them regularly and you learn how to speak truth and love. You learn how to slow down to their pace. You learn how to be kind when it's not easy. And you learn how to build these muscles so that you can become the man or the woman that God has created you to become. And when you look at a list like this, it's like, man, this is not gonna be easy. And none of these things are easy, they're just better. This new standard is not easy, it's better. And if you wanna keep loving the way that you have been loving for the last 25 years, where's that gonna take you in the next 25? There may be a reason why you've had dysfunctional relationships up until this point in your life. You're the common denominator. And we need a new standard. And we need to be willing to try a new paradigm. It's not easy, but it's better. Paul, he finishes in this verse and he says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, listen, I put away childish things, Point number three, if you're taking notes, I've invited you tonight to make love. We want to make love tonight, but we want to make love important. We want to make love a verb. And then third and finally, we want to make love mature. It's time to grow up. It's time to put childish things behind us. But, but this is so hard because we learned our standard of love, most of us, from Disney. And Disney sold us this kind of apocalyptic, romantic idea, and here's what I mean by that, is that, that there's this person out there, all right? And, and the significant events of your life, they begin to really take place about three days before you meet this person, the right person, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, right? And so we always drop into the Disney movie, like right when, you know, Belle's singing, you know, bonjour, bonjour, you know, all throughout the town. And then, you know, it's not Gaston, but then she meets the beast within like 30 minutes. And we all know, like, it's all going to work out. But then they don't know yet. Like, she's scared, but they don't know. and But we know, you know. And, and so we think that that's just kind of our life. And then once they get married, once he you know, beats Gaston, and she's like, oh, my gosh. And then she cries, and he comes back. And they're like, they're happily ever after. And Lumiere and all them, they, they come together, right? And it's all good. And, and then, then the movie ends. And so we think that, that in our life, we're just going to kind of fumble through life. And, and then one day, we're going to meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And then, and then we're gonna fall in love and then we're gonna live happily ever after. It's apocalyptic romance. And we think that the right person is gonna fix everything about our life. And so you've come in, you've come in here tonight, a lot of us have come in here and we think, okay, I've just gotta, I've gotta focus on who is she, who is he. And we pray, Lord Jesus, if you could help me meet Mrs. Wright or Mr. Wright. And we'll look at a list like this and we're like, God, I don't want this, I want them to be patient and kind and we'll confuse the application of tonight's message thinking that this is just about us finding some mythical person out there like it's a unicorn that we've gotta go figure out and find. But the application of tonight's message is to grow up and to understand that's not how it works. And when you read a list like this, yes, aim your sights at that type of person, but become that type of person. That's the application that you don't hold somebody to an expectation that you're not seeking to embody yourself. That's what a child does. It's time to be a man, and it's time to be a, a woman, not a girl and not a boy. See, I think our bodies matured, but our standards didn't, and we need to grow up. So, um, in, in my household, I told you I have three little girls eight, seven, and three. And so I, I've been married so many times, y'all. It's like crazy, all right? And so I get married to my daughters. I married my three year old like three times the other day. And, and so, what we do is we play married. It's awesome. I put on like my suit coat and I get on my knees and, and we say vows, you know. And I'm like, You promised to never marry anybody else? And they're like, Yes. I'm like, Great. Can we sign this, you know? And um, anyway, we pretend and we play to be married and, and it's cute. Like y'all seen kids do this before and it's so cute when they play married and they, they play wedding and dress up and all that stuff. Like it's cute when you look at kids and they're playing married, but it's not cute when you look at young adults and they're playing married. Because when kids play married, it's fun. Everyone has a good time. But when young adults play married, there's always Heartache. and when we treat relationships like they're a game, people get hurt, love gets confused, and the enemy laughs as he sabotages our race. See, promises and a party don't make marriage. It's easy to say, I do, but just because you say, I do, doesn't mean that you can I think sometimes we come in here and we, we hear a message like this and we think, okay, I've got the idea, therefore I have arrived. And listen, it is childish to think that you can just have this type of love without any sort of work. Like, like you're not going to stumble into a vibrant, loving relationship. It's going to take some work. So, so I was talking with a, a young adult this week and, and he's like, man, I just want a date. <laughs> I just like, I mean, God is just aroused dating and marriage. I want to, I want to, I want to date somebody. I, I want to get married. I want to be a husband and then I want to be a father. And, and I just told him, I was like, man, this is a great thing. And so I, I was talking life with him and, and then I, I just said, well, l- let's think about it this way. Um, I've got three daughters and imagine this be kind of weird. Like we don't do this in our culture, but imagine that I was sitting down with you and I was interviewing you because I was considering giving you one of my daughters to date and marry. Just work with me here. And I said, okay, if I was going to give one of my daughters over to you to date and marry, do you think that would be a wise decision? He kind of looked at me and as if I just thumped him in the forehead. (laughs) I never thought of it that way. Like your daughter? I'm like, yeah, my daughter. You know, I love her. You think I should just turn her over to you? And I said, see, if you're going to be responsible enough to be entrusted with one of my daughters, there's two big questions that I need you to answer. The first question is this, who are you? Who are you? And I wonder, maybe you come in here tonight, I just ask that question, who are you? You want to be entrusted with my daughter? Or if I had a son, ladies, you want to be entrusted with my son? Who are you? I think some of us have come in here tonight and we are so desperate for love because we don't understand how much we are really loved in Christ. When you read this passage, you're like, man, who could do this? Jesus has done this passage for you. He was patient. He slowed down his pace in heaven and came alongside of humanity when he stepped into human history. He was kind. He used his strength not to lord it over us, but to help those who are weak. That's every one of us. He was not boastful or proud or rude or arrogant. But in fact, he humbled himself and he honored humanity above himself. He wasn't easily irritated. He's not frustrated at you. Even though we've come in here as a band of rebels, he's not looking at us like, oh, I can't believe you would do that. Who are you to come here? No, he loves you. And maybe most importantly, he keeps no record of wrong. That he paid the bill for your sin. And you will never fully understand the answer to the question, who are you? Until you fully understand that Jesus loves you. And so you'll seek fulfillment in all sorts of things. So, who are you? And so I looked at this young adult and I was like, You need to answer that question. Who are you? And he'd come to the conclusion where he's like, Man, I'm a follower of Jesus. He set me free from my sin. I began to to, to trust him for salvation and follow him. And I said, The second question, if if I was going to give you one of my daughters, the second question I would need to know the answer to is, Where are you going? Who are you and where are you going? Because if you don't know where you're going, why would I entrust you somebody so that you could just lead them into the confusion and the chaos that you ain't even figured out yet? And so maybe you've come in here tonight and you're seeking a significant relationship. You need to answer those two questions. Who are you? What are you about? Where does your identity come from? And where are you going? And a great place for you to start with where are you going is I'm going to make love a verb in my life. I'm going to be patient and kind at work tomorrow. I'm not going to put myself above other people anymore. I'm going to honor people. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to have a new standard for love. I want to bite you just about your head close your eyes, and we're gonna pray and sing a song, and the song we're about to sing is called I Surrender, and a lot of you have come in here tonight, and um, when it comes to messages like this, you're just like, man, I'm so jacked up, and some of you have come in here, and you are, you're, you're fresh out of a relationship, and, and, and you thought this was the one, you thought it was gonna go the distance, and you saw some of these, these notions of love, but it didn't last, and you're wounded, and I'm sorry. But here's what I know: that God does some of His greatest work in the midst of trials and transitions. And you may be brokenhearted here tonight, but God draws near to the brokenhearted, and He is a God like we said last week of new beginnings. So maybe you surrender to Him your heart, your tears, your frustration. Others of you, you've come in here tonight and. And maybe you're in a relationship. You're right in the middle of it. And you need to hit reset on that thing. You've seen these notions of what we talked about tonight, but you're just not there, and you need to hit reset. Maybe you need to take a break. You, you may have to do something difficult, and you may have to say, God, I surrender to you my relationship. And then others of you have come in here and And you're in a season where it's like, man, I haven't had a call, a text, an opportunity to go on a date in a long, long time. And I wanna be a wife. I wanna be a husband. And I would just encourage you to continue to surrender to God that angst. Continue to pray that you would become a man or a woman that embodies this type of love and that God would help you to cross paths with a man or a woman that embodies this type of love. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for my friends tonight. I pray that you would help them to surrender to you. God, I ask that you would help us to have strong, vibrant, loving relationships today. That that would help us to spring into romantic relationships in due time. And that you would help us as a body to be marked by this robust expression of love. Mend our broken hearts. Give us wisdom to know what to do in our present relationships and help us to continue to surrender our angst and our concerns about our future. In Christ's name I pray, amen.